Hey listeners, on May 13th, we invite you to join us and Reed Hoffman for a new virtual strategy session presented in alliance with Capital One Business. You'll hear insights from fellow entrepreneurs about how to be at the forefront of leading change with AI. So go to mastersofscale.com AI strategy right now to register for free. Again, that's mastersofscale.com AI strategy. Looking forward to seeing you there. you got to have incredible talent at every position. It's like this huge push. There are fires burning when you're going home. Can you believe it? Such an idiot. And then you go back to, this is totally going to be amazing. There are so many easy ways. I'm so sorry. I have no idea what to do. Sorry, we made a mistake. But you have to time it right. Oops. Working at a three-bedroom apartment. Stuff that just seems absolutely nutballs. Ten years later, we're like, well, that's just how you do it. We haven't made just how you do it. This is Masters of Scale. We'll start the show in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. I woke up in the middle of the night because I had this nightmare that we were front page news that we've done the stupidest mistake of our life by making this pivot. (laughs) That's Aparna Saran, Chief Marketing Officer for Capital One Business, and she's recalling a moment from her previous position at Capital One when she was heading up a team designing a new business card. We had just made the decision to go all in and sunset the prior version of the product, which was honestly the cash cow for our business. When we made that decision within a senior leadership meeting, as someone who had been on the journey to build this out for five plus years, it was really exciting. But by the time the weekend hit, I started to feel the responsibility and the pressure. We are taking this big bet on something that I've built. Perhaps you've been there. You've made a pivotal decision and then panic sets in. How would Aparna calm her butterflies and steer her team through this pivot? We'll find out later in the show. It's all part of the Refocus Playbook, a special series where Capital One Business highlights stories of business owners and leaders using one of Reed's theories of entrepreneurship. Today's Playbook Insight, have multiple plan Bs. Hi, listeners. It's Reed. Welcome to the Masters of Scale Strategy Session. In these episodes, selected entrepreneurs, business owners, and CEOs ask the most burning questions on their minds. What challenges them? What intrigues them? Where they see risk and opportunity? With each question, I offer my perspective about steps to take or practices to consider in ways that hopefully resonate for all of you. For this strategy session, we've tapped into our community, offering Master of Scale members the opportunity to pose their questions. In this session, you'll hear from five different entrepreneurs from our Master of Scale membership community. They're from all around the world and come from a wide variety of businesses. If you'd like to submit your question for the next membership strategy session, go to masterscale.com slash membership to become a member. And I'm delighted to be joined by our co-host, Bob Safian, who will introduce the guests and frame each question for us. Bob, excited to do another strategy session with you. Hey, Reed. Indeed, these startup leaders from the Masters of Scale community have such important questions personal, but broadly applicable. And we love sharing your insights, Reed, on their challenges with everyone. 
It's a diverse group of founders at different stages of scale. Their questions will resonate for anyone chasing scale. Should we jump right in? Absolutely. Then let's do it. Our first question comes from Anthony Gruca, a self-styled aspiring entrepreneur. Anthony's question is about how best to prepare for making the jump off the cliff into starting a company. It's a challenge that every entrepreneur has struggled with. Let's listen. Hi, Reid. I'm Antony Gruca, and I'm an aspiring entrepreneur from Poland, currently studying for my master's at HEC Paris. The Masters of Scale Up was my daily commute companion throughout the semester, and I was wondering, when it comes to entrepreneurship, some people jump in right after college, or even before, starting their own company right away. But other founders do a little more preparation. If you're not quite ready to strike out on your own yet, or maybe don't have the right idea in place, what's the best role to pursue in business to prepare yourself for entrepreneurship? Should you be looking to focus on product, finance, sales, or something completely different? Anthony, great question, and important for every entrepreneur. To prepare yourself for entrepreneurship, it's generally best to get as close to entrepreneurship as you can. So, join a startup however you can. Like when I look back on my own career, I think about what happens if I had gone to Netscape versus joined Fujitsu. I joined Fujitsu because I thought, well, okay, being close to the product as an entrepreneur was my very first product manager job working on a virtual worlds product called Worlds Away. You know, not a bad thesis. But on the other hand, perhaps have I done anything at Netscape, you know, even assistant sales or office management or anything else, getting the experience and learning. One of the challenges of working in other areas of business is that you're almost always working on what I call V1 to V2 products or V1 to V11 products. And the entrepreneurial experience is the V0 to V1 product. And you need to get that experience and realizing what a blind leap off a cliff that is and what triage and how you pivot and how you first have another idea and you change to another one. Now, when you begin to think about product development or finance or sales, which of those areas is absolutely most important depends on where you're going to be an entrepreneur. So, for example, a consumer internet product, it's product development. But sometimes sales is most important, like within enterprise. So it tends to be where is the anchor of the industry that you think you might want to go into? Because the founder having the depth of instinct on that and then pulling everything else around it together is what's key. So it isn't one size fits all. It's where you think you might want to be heading when you become an entrepreneur. Thanks, Reed. As you say, we can't quite predict what we'll need to know when we make the leap into entrepreneurship. Sometimes you just have to face the unknown, but it also makes sense to leverage what we know because that's where our best ideas often come from too. Let's go to our next question, which comes from Crystal Lucado. Crystal does awesome work supporting entrepreneurs and advocating for social justice. The question is about balancing what you need today and your visions for tomorrow. It's a question about strategy and about mindset, and actually something I've been curious to ask you too, Reed. How should we think about future planning? Let's listen to Crystal. Aloha, Reed. My name is Crystal Licato. My father was in the U.S. Army where backward planning is instructed by troop-leading procedures. To start by envisioning an operations end state and then work backwards step-by-step to the beginning, it's a process that begins by answering the question, where do we eventually want to be? 
When working on a startup that aspires for global scale and impact, when do you rely on backward planning? And when do you rely on forward planning? And when do you do both? So Crystal, this is a great question because the short answer is you always have to be doing both forward planning and backward planning. Now, most commonly from a seed or series A startup, you're intensely on forward planning. And the backward planning is a little less, just more of like a pole star. Like this is what we could be when we're a platform, when we're huge, when we have a billion people in the world. But you don't wanna spend too much time on that because you need to solve the initial plans first. One of the metaphors that I frequently use, given that we're using a military question here, is Marines take the beach, Army takes the country, police governs the country. Part of that is to break the process up into three phases. The first phase, Marines taking the beach is, oh my gosh, how do we do this? What's the thing that we find product market fit? You have to be really scrappy, very pragmatic about it, and you're pivoting a lot. The second phase, ah, we found product market fit. We're now going to scale. We're perhaps doing blitz scaling, and we're building out into the entire market. The third phase, the police, is once you've kind of established yourself in the market, you're not governing the ecosystem, you're tuning more towards efficiency. So back to your question, in an early stage startup, it's a lot of pivoting. Because by the way, you're pivoting in order to get on the beach may require you to choose an entirely different beach. And therefore you're backward planning, thinking this is the market you were gonna establish may now be entirely irrelevant. And so that's the reason why you emphasize the forward planning. But having that pole star and thinking about what's the way we get to scale, what's the market that's sizable that we're going after is a really key thing to keep in mind as you do that forward planning. I love that metaphor about the Marines, the Army, and the police, Reed. It clarifies the different phases. And I also love how you describe the need for both. We need that North Star, but we also need to be acting based on the world of today. Otherwise, we'll never get to that future dream. On to the next question, which is another great one. It comes from a Masters of Scale member that some of you listening and you read may be familiar with. Tudor Mielescu is the co-founder and CEO of Speechify. Tudor joined us during our live strategy session last fall as a contestant in the crazy entrepreneurial game show we called The Pivot Point. If you haven't heard the recording of that super fun session, you should definitely scroll down the feed in your podcast app and find it after this episode is over. It's the one titled Strategy Session Live from December 14th, 2021. Tudor's question today is about yearly goal setting for startup growth. How much is enough? It's something every early stage founder obsesses about, trying to gauge their progress, their status. Let's listen. Hi, Reed. I'm Tudor Mihailescu, co-founder and CEO of Speechify, that is Speechif AI, an AI startup that helps companies generate organic traffic through social sharing, based in New York City. How would you advise a pre-seed startup to go about setting growth objectives for the year? Do you choose one metric to focus on or multiple areas? And is there a threshold rate of growth that a tech startup has to hit to be compelling? Like the 5 to 7% weekly growth rate that Paul Graham has cited as a Y Combinator benchmark? Just like everything in entrepreneurship, it depends a lot on the market and it depends a lot on the competition. Now, if you can do a 5 to 7% weekly growth rate, that's great. And generally speaking, growth rates start small, 
get to a large number and then decrease over time as you get more mature. So the 5 to 7% weekly growth rate is a great early stage benchmark, and it's a software growth rate. Usually in the world of atoms versus bits, that's a little bit harder to get to that kind of growth rate. Generally speaking, you should have as few metrics as possible so that everyone can unify around them. You can do the analysis of what it takes to get there. When you're kind of figuring out other parts of it, you can relate them back to this one metric. And it's worth thinking pretty hard about what metric you're initially targeting. Now, you can still pivot to other metrics as you learn them. And sometimes what you realize is you say, well, which thing is most important? Like, is it registrations? Is it engagement? Is it a certain kind of engagement? Is it engagement with a certain market? Is it a loop that goes from, for example, how you're discovered in SEO to how you're engaged? These metrics can, in fact, be the core one you may actually be discovering as you go. And even when that's maybe only a 2% or a 1% weekly growth rate, it still compounds ultimately to something that's so strong that it's a great strategic place to be. So again, it's not a particular magic number as much as it's something that helps you establish being the leader in your market with strong barriers against the competition. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. There was panic that set in that night because I didn't want to let people down. We're back with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was recalling the time she woke up in a cold sweat, terrified that the new product she had been working on might fail. So the next morning, she sat down and wrote an email. It was Sunday morning, and I said, you know what? I'm going to just like share this with my peers. It was very emotional. It was like sort of a cry for help. Aparna realized that if the new product didn't take off, she needed a plan B, preferably multiple plan Bs. I'm inviting them to be the thought partners so that we are mitigating as much risk as possible and we have contingency plans in place as we make this move. You write something like this and your heart is pounding, should I send this? It was a super vulnerable moment for me. But then I was like, I'm going to just send this. Like, what's the worst that will happen? It can't be worse than being on the front page of the <laughs> newspaper. So she held her breath and hit send. What happened next would surprise even her. We'll hear about that later in the show. It's all part of Capital One Business's Spotlight on Business Leaders, following Reed's Refocus Playbook. Welcome back to this special strategy session featuring questions from members of the Masters of Scale community and answers from our own Reed Hoffman. Our next question is from Hoda Mayer. Hoda is the founder and CEO of a super cool startup called Stockcard.io. Hoda's question is about intense pivots and how founders should describe them to investors. She asks the question as an early stage founder, but the topic comes up at critical times for companies at every stage of growth. Let's listen. Hi, Reed. I'm Hoda Meir, founder and CEO of StockCart.io, Roblox for individual investors and creators. My question for you is, if you're a seed stage startup and you've taken on a pivot to a new approach, what's the best way to explain that to potential investors? When I'm straightforward about it, I've gotten some negative reactions like it's a signal of failure or that we're trying to distract from an earlier direction. 
Should we consider changing the name, launching a totally new company, or just not bringing up the pre-pivot activities? Hoda, this is a very important question for a lot of entrepreneurs. If you're genuinely learning and you're generally actually assessing product market fit and scale product market fit, you will find that things will change a bunch from your initial idea. The important question here is framing. So it isn't that you need to mask the pre-pivot activities. It's that you need to frame what they have led you to. If your conclusion on the pre-pivot activities is it was just foolishness, there was nothing there, then just kind of like, hey, we were experimenting, we've moved on, here's what we are. But if instead it was learning and you're demonstrating your ability to pivot, your ability to assess product market fit, your ability to say we're nimble and we're committed to finding the things that are very interesting, then framing them the right way is the thing to bring up with investors. It's not saying we failed, it's we engaged, we learned, we pivoted, and we've adjusted. That then gives you the way of thinking about what does changing the name or launching a new company or doing any of those things matter. Because if you say, well, in order to show that we've learned, we've launched a new company, or we're changing the name to something that's more appropriate to what we're doing now. The thing that investors are looking for, especially on the very early stage, is your ability to take a plan seriously, engage seriously, learn from feedback, and adjust It's one of the reasons why investors frequently talk about how important the entrepreneurs are for their investment thesis. I'd say easily the majority of seed investments pivot to something that could be fairly different than what they start out in order to get to scale or in order to get to product market fit. I think the most interesting historical example of this is I believe that Sony, that is Sony Electronics Corporation, started out with hot water bottles. And there's a more general lesson here for entrepreneurs pitching investors. When you encounter something that you think might be a negative or might be viewed to be negatively, the question is how to spin that into a positive. For example, when I pitched the Series A of LinkedIn and they're all looking for revenue, they're all questioning how to get to profitability, we are not going to seek revenue at all because the smart network building is to build your network first, like we did with PayPal, and then to get into revenue and monetization. So as opposed to it being a failure of, well, you're not gonna go revenue and maybe you can't get revenue out of your first venture investment, it's, no, no, it's a feature. And to some degree, framing these things as intelligent strategy, as learnings, is both an important thing for your mindset as an entrepreneur, but also selecting the right kinds of investors that you would want to have as partners. There's so much in that answer, Reed, about the importance of learning as a critical tool for entrepreneurs and for all of us, and about being honest with your missteps and your learnings, but also being thoughtful about how to turn them to your advantage. Our final question comes from Shamini Dana. Shamini is a serial entrepreneur who's starting a new company called DSphere in the fashion tech world. Shamini asks about the challenges that a truly inventive startup can have in pitching a new unproven idea to investors. These are the kind of realities that any business person at any stage company will be forced to navigate when looking to build momentum around a brand new concept. Let's listen. Hi, Reed. I'm Shamini Dana. 
I'm an entrepreneur based in California, and my latest project is a creative fashion tech platform called DSphere that is unlocking creativity through the personalization of fashion by leveraging second life materials. There's a lot of talk about climate change and the need for innovative solutions, but I'm finding that investors are skeptical about backing a marketplace that doesn't exist or is still underdeveloped. Our platform, DSphere, could unlock significant network effects by empowering the collective, but it's still early. How would you best advise that entrepreneurs demonstrate the power of their idea? Marketplaces are hard, but very valuable. Marketplaces, whether it ranges from Airbnb or eBay or even more broadly put like LinkedIn for talent and others, are super valuable when they get to scale. And they become an enduring part of economic, business, and sociologic infrastructure. But part of the reason why they're difficult is because the same kind of network effects that lock them in and enable them when they're at scale also are very difficult to get into place. It's almost like an anti-network effect before you get there because like a buyer shows up and a seller is not there. So the buyer goes away and then a seller shows up and the buyer is not there. So the buyer goes away. Frequently, it's an occasional transactional environment that doesn't have the ongoing engagement that a social media or other property might have. Part of the reason why eBay buys advertising fairly constantly is because Obviously, the people who buy and sell off eBay a lot, remember it, don't need the advertising. But the people are like, look, I was aware that eBay was there, but I was looking for something and it didn't occur to me to look on eBay as a way of doing it. And so these are the kinds of things that make marketplaces very difficult to get going. And you have to get to the critical mass such that it works. And what's more, marketplaces frequently are thought about as two-sided, but frequently there's also multi-sided marketplaces where there's multiple participants, which makes it even more challenging. Generally speaking, most people say, well, the marketplace doesn't exist because the demand isn't there. So the real key thing is how do you get the demand going? You need to give the best possible evidence that the demand might possibly be there. Now, some of it might be we have a real privileged channel for aggregating supply. And once we really aggregate the supply in a unique way, we think we can get to the demand. It's a theory, but you know you can show evidence to the theory. Another is you can try to pull, you know, get intel off search characteristics or purchases in various domains to show that there is actually, in fact, some natural demand and you just need to aggregate it. A classic entrepreneurial approach is to go buy some advertising on a platform like Facebook, hopefully, you know, at a reasonably low cost basis and prove click through. And that entrepreneur has a flow through page that includes the potential purchase. You say, if you put in your email address, we'll email you when it's live. Thank you very much, you know, et cetera. And if you do that at some scale where you have some evidence to show that there may be buy side demand here, then that could be another way to potentially show the power of the idea. But you will have a bunch of people being hesitant and uncertain because for every successful marketplace, there have been thousands of failed marketplaces. Don't just rely upon one way of trying to demonstrate the availability of the demand, the potential strength of the power of your platform, but to line up a couple of different ones, getting some buy-in or support from experts, getting some people invested in who know about marketplaces and 
who have some ability to help. But marketplaces is a very difficult game, but huge game. And I myself personally love when new marketplaces are constructed, which is one of the reasons, of course, when Airbnb pitched me three minutes into the pitch, I told them, yes, I'm going to make an offer to invest. Generally, every seed and series A pitch is good to have what I think of as the Hollywood pitch. The best Hollywood pitch, I think, was not a great film, but an awesome pitch, which was a film called A Man's Best Friend. And it was pitched as Jaws with Paws. Now, the more often Hollywood pitch is it's Airbnb, but for Second Life materials, right? And that kind of pitch is almost always extremely valuable to have. So it's like, okay, it helps me visualize that, helps me frame a set of questions, helps me understand it. Obviously, the closer you are in various ways, the more it can work. Now, if you're getting into competition, if you have a competitive marketplace, that may very well drown you out, right? If it's a competition that you have a really decisive angle on, that's interesting. You know, frequent entrepreneurs say, we have no competition. That's hard to believe. So you always say, here are some of the things that are competitive. Here is why we're very different. Here is why our thesis could play out very differently. Do mention competition, but what you're trying to do is frame why it is you have a, a really interesting shot at a super interesting business. Good luck. Well said, Reed, as always. We hope you all listening enjoyed this Masters of Scale strategy session. As Reed said at the top, if you want to submit a question for the next strategy session, Become a member by going to mastersofscale.com slash membership. You'll also get access to the Masters of Scale courses app that Anthony mentioned early on, and you'll be able to join the private Masters of Scale LinkedIn group where you can connect with every Masters of Scale member, including everyone we heard from today. And with that, I'm Bob Safian. And I'm Reed Hoffman. Thank you for listening. And now, a final word from our brand partner, Capital One Business. Throughout the day, text messages and emails kept pouring in. Whatever you need, just let us know. We're back one more time with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was telling us about a Sunday morning email she fired off in a moment of panic. Minutes later, her inbox was overflowing. And the support she found wasn't just emotional, it was practical. We talked about detailed contingency plans and we created our go-to-market strategy before we are in full rollout mode, we are at stage gates so that we could test and quickly learn and iterate. And within a matter of like six months, as we were rolling things out channel by channel, those stage gates would allow us to pivot if we saw something that we didn't like. That day, Aparna learned a lesson that stayed with her. Having multiple plan Bs doesn't just expand your options. It gives you new opportunities. The best way to pivot is actually open doors for thoughtful conversations because humility in knowing that you actually don't know everything as well as the empathy in knowing that disruption is always drastic and abrupt helps you go through that pivot with other people in a very different way. Capital One Business is proud to support entrepreneurs and leaders working to scale their impact from Fortune 500s to first-time business owners. For more resources to help drive your business forward, visit CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. That's CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. Masters of Scale is a Wait What original. Our executive producers are June Cohen and Darren Triff. Our senior producer is Jordan McLeod. Our supervising producer is Jay Punjabi. 
Our producers are Adam Skuse, Catherine Clark Gray, Hailey Bondi, Marie McCoy Thompson, and Christina Gonzalez. Our editor-at-large is Bob Safian. Our music director is Ryan Holiday. Original music and sound design by Eduardo Rivera. Audio editing by Keith J. Nelson, Stephen Davies, Andrew Nault, and Mike Gallagher. Mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh. Special thanks to Chris Yeh, Elisa Schreiber, David Sanford, Saida Sapieva, Greg Beato, Adam Heiner, Emily McManus, Kelsey Capitano, Tim Cronin, Anna Pisano, Ben Richardson, Mina Kurosawa, Sarah Tartar, Charlie Manessis, Chineme Ezequena, and Colin Haworth. Become a member of Masters of Scale to get access to a year's worth of courses and content on the Masters of Scale courses app. Find out more at mastersofscale.com slash membership. 